Thank you. <laughs> My name is Holly Chase, and I am a member of the Canarsie Al-Anon family group. And it's just wonderful to be here with you people at the 14th conference. Uh, just a, about a week ago, I was at the World Service Conference of Al-Anon, and it was our 14th conference. And it's uh, quite a coincidence. I don't know if any of you believe, believe in numerology, but I do a, a, to a certain extent. I heard a speaker say that when we talk at meetings, it's not a monologue, it's a dialogue. And what I'm saying, I hope, is going out to you and the feelings that you're going to convey back to me is going to make all the difference in the world in the talk that I give. I don't know if you ever had the experience of uh, attending a group that didn't seem to be very receptive. And it is a horrible feeling if you feel you're not getting across to the people. So I'm going to pick out all the smiling faces as I talk. I came into Al-Anon in February 1955. It was about eight months after my husband came into AA. And up to that point, I was a, just an AA wife. I would go to all the meetings with him. I loved AA. I loved the fellowship. And uh, very soon after he came into his home group, they made him the secretary. And we didn't have a place to store the literature, and we would have to carry it home. And uh, I would go to the meetings with Frank and set the literature out and help him in this way. The group didn't have very much funds at that time. This is the AA group. I'm not in Al-Anon now. And uh, we heard about some literature that came from the South. And uh, we saw some samples of it, and uh, being very new in the program, we sent for a big batch of it. And, oh, we got a great big bundle for about $10. Some of the pieces were a penny and two cents. And uh, this one night, I'm setting the literature out. And uh, a quote, old-timer, came up to me, and he said, uh, Is this conference-approved literature? And... Um, I was very knowledgeable about the preamble of AA. I knew just enough to be dangerous. <laughs> and I said to him, AA neither endorses nor opposes any causes. I had never heard of conference approval literature, and who was this joker, you know? And we grow in the program. We try to practice the traditions. We try to follow the steps. And now we can look back and laugh at the incidents like this. Uh, during the drinking days, I did everything that I guess every spouse of an alcoholic tries to do. Frank and I were only married a short time, and he originally came from New England, from the state of Connecticut. And I met him in New York. And he always liked to uh, tell in his story that he got me in a nut house. We uh, both worked in the Planters Peanut Store on Broadway. 
And um, he was drinking, and uh, I didn't recognize that it was a problem, but I thought, well, this big city is a too much for this country boy, and I better get him out of the big city. And he was a tool and dye maker by trade, so I started looking at all the wanted, and I found a job for him in the deep south, Charlotte, North Carolina. And I was delighted when we uh, first got there. I saw signs all over that only beer and light wine were sold. You had to uh, go to a state store in order to buy the liquor. And I thought, well, this is marvelous. He won't be able to get any alcohol. I didn't know anything about moonshine. But he sure found out about it quick. Uh, during this geographic cure. It was uh, right after the war. Housing was nil. You just couldn't get an apartment. And uh, we ended up buying a house trailer. And uh, <clears throat> this was very nice as far as housework went. You just made the bed in the morning, uh, run the broom for the, over the floor, open the door, swept the dirt out. And there wasn't very much for me to do all day. Uh, the trailer was very easy to uh, keep, maintain. But in this trailer, we had a little icebox, and it really was an icebox. We had to uh, go and buy a, a chunk of ice from town, and uh, food didn't keep in it very well. And Frank would buy his beer by the case. And to make sure it was good and chilled, he would lay it on top of the ice. And this made the ice melt all the faster. And uh, one weekend, we had a couple of chickens spoil on us and some chopped meat. And I was so furious, and I started to raise cane. Well, we had a few choice words between us. And uh, he went out in the yard with a shovel. I say yard, it was, the trailer was on 25 acres. He went out with the shovel and he dug a, a big pit about six feet by six feet by six feet. I thought he was going to put me in it. And he went to town and he got a, about a 50 pound piece of ice and he got a piece of canvas and he put his cases of beer in this pit with the canvas on top of it, and he told me what I could do with my icebox. <laughs> it wasn't funny at the time, believe me. Then um, I recall another time we went shopping together, and it was in the hot summer. This happened many years later. <clears throat> we went shopping, and I started looking at the... Uh, pieces of roast, and going to make a piece of roast meat, and uh, Frank said, oh, why bother lighting the oven, it's so hot, let's get some hamburger and we'll barbecue it, and the kids love to eat out in the yard, so I thought, well, that's great, you know, let's work for mother, I go along with that, so I bought the hamburger, the chopped meat, and uh, this was fine, but uh few months later, we had uh, open discussion in our house about finances, 
And he says, I don't know what the hell you do with the money. He says, all you ever served me is hamburger. Um, there was a, another, uh, I'm, I'm telling you this thing to show that I qualify, you know, that insanity bit. Uh, Frank, uh, as I mentioned, was a tool and die maker, and he always made a good income. Uh, finances should not have been a problem. It was only because of the drinking that it was, but I was never able to put these two things together. And uh, when we had the two girls, we had the two daughters, I felt, well, we have to get out. We have to go out once in a while, and the best way is to have an automobile. Well, we couldn't afford a new car, and we get, we get these second-hand cars. Well, really, I guess they were fourth-hand. Frank was the only one who could drive them. You had to use two hands and two feet and choke it with your hand and everything else. And the two times that he started to teach me how to drive were the two times that I was pregnant when I <laughs> could hardly get behind the wheel. But the point that I wanted to make was <clears throat> uh, he would give me a, a fixed income every week and uh, I would budget my money so that I could pay the loan that we could have this car and because all the uh, tin money that Frank had went through his drinking, and I would be paying for my own misery. This was before they had compulsory insurance, and when he would drive the car and be intoxicated, I would worry that he would have an accident. There were lots of times when he left the house that I wished that he had an accident, but he shouldn't get hurt. He shouldn't hurt anyone else. I had all kinds of special prayers. And all I can say is, thank God that my prayers weren't answered. Because many of them were so mixed up that I, I would have been very sorry had they been answered. Uh, as I mentioned, I never recognized that it was an alcoholic problem that we had. I thought that it was a financial problem. And uh, I was constantly hiding my pocketbook. I would take my pocketbook to the bathroom with me. I would hide my wallet underneath the pillow at night. And half the times I couldn't find my pocketbook when I wanted it. I tried all these different ways to help our family situation. But to begin with, I didn't know what the problem was. Therefore, I couldn't find an answer. And finally, out of desperation, I wrote to Alcoholics Anonymous because a very dear friend made this suggestion to me. And when she mentioned it to me, I thought she was out of her mind that Frank might be an alcoholic. Why, how could she ever think such a thing? But within 15 minutes, I was on my way home. I went, I looked in the telephone book and got the address of AA, and I wrote them about a four-page letter. I wish I could see that letter today. 
And uh, they sent me literature. And amongst the literature was some uh, Al-Anon literature. Well, I glanced at this, the Al-Anon literature, and it said, for the families of alcoholics. And alcoholics aren't the only people who can rationalize. We non-alcoholics do a pretty good job of it, too. And my rationalization at that time was, I don't know if he is an alcoholic, therefore I don't qualify for Al-Anon, and I never made any effort to seek any help. Consequently, we had two and a half more years of downhill drinking until my husband was so physically ill one day he asked me would I go to that AA with him and I didn't know that we could pick up the telephone and someone from AA would come to our home he was on the verge of convulsions I took him on the bus I took him on the subway and he just shook and sweat and he was so sick and when we got to the office in New York, uh, the people there saw that he was in no condition to speak. And they said, would you want someone to come to your home? And he said, yes. And I helped them to find the nearest group by looking at the map. And that was uh, two subway fares away from us. I mention this because at that time, I think the fare might have been 10 cents. And this was a big problem to us, for Frank and I, 20 cents to go to a meeting and 20 cents to come home for each of us. We just didn't have the money. The two sponsors came to our house that night, and they were dressed so lovely, so neat and clean, and they looked at Frank and saw the condition he was in, and the one man said to me, You know, Mrs. Chase, your husband is a very sick man. And I looked at him and I said, he is? I never once regarded my husband as being a sick man. And yet I had seen him vomiting and, well, I don't have to go into all the details. You all know. I had seen him through all these stages, but never thought of him as being sick. They took him to a doctor, and I went along, and uh, they gave him vitamin shots, and they gave him something to quiet his stomach, and the next day, I dragged him to his first AA meeting, and uh, when we walked into the group, most of them thought I was the alcoholic. That's how I looked. Well, this AA program which is the one that I try to follow in Al-Anon, has been a godsend. Uh, some of you may know that my husband passed away two years ago. And without this program, I don't think I ever could have made it. When I first was asked to talk after his passing, I, I found I couldn't talk in the past tense. I couldn't say... Uh, talk as if he was gone and uh, today uh, the hurt is a little bit less I'm able to discuss it and just for anyone who may have lost a loved one uh, 
it was made a lot easier for me by Frank's attitude. When he was told that he had an incurable disease, he never questioned it. He never said, why me? He accepted it. And uh, people went to see him a couple of days before he passed away, and they said to me, Holly, what a pleasure it was to visit with Frank. We had the most wonderful meeting. And this is the way he was. And uh, many of his friends are here at this conference, and I'm so happy to see them. More of these things that I had done in trying to help Frank, I learned finally through trial and error that uh, we can only reach an alcoholic through love. That's the only way that I felt that I finally did reach Frank. I didn't have any malice. I, I just was washed out. I was so tired. I, I couldn't do anything anymore and I said to him I love you Frank just as much as the day I married you but I cannot help you if I'm nice you drink if I'm nasty you drink if I cry you drink if it's hot out you drink to cool down if it's cold out you drink to warm up and all these things I came to learn through the years and I didn't say it in anger, and he more or less accepted it. And I moved upstairs with my parents, and I was petrified that he might in some way force the issue and say, you come back downstairs where you belong. And I used to lie awake at night, afraid that he would do something like this, but he never did. He never made any scene. And as I mentioned before, he finally came to me and asked me would I go to AA with him. And from that day on, our whole life started to begin. Last night, uh, I could identify with the speaker, Mike, when he talked about strapping the bottles of liquor on underneath the car. Frank was the uh, neighborhood handyman, and uh, I would watch him in the morning go underneath an automobile, sober as could be, and he'd lay under there, and he'd come out, and he'd be so drunk he couldn't walk. And I never could figure this out until after he came into AA, and this goes back a few years, dating me, I guess. It was when the cars had floorboards in them. And before he would bring the car into the yard to repair it, he would put his supply up in the glove compartment. And when he was underneath the car, he could reach up through the dashboard, uh, through the floorboards into the glove compartment and get the bottle. And one day, my mother said to me, Holly, uh, I think something must have happened to Frank. I've been watching and he hasn't moved for about a half hour. I haven't seen his legs move or anything. So I went outside and I tapped his legs. And with that, he picked up a wrench and he started hitting on something, you know. And I said, uh, Frank, are you all right? Oh, sure. I said, well, you didn't seem to be moving. Oh, well, he said, I just closed my eyes a little while. He said, uh, it was so comfortable under here. And 
I couldn't question it. After Frank was in AA about, well, he came in in June, and it was the first Christmas was coming up, our first holidays in the program. So he was in about six months. He said to me, uh, Holly, will you go out and buy some Christmas cards? And uh, I thought, well, gee, this is something. You know, he's taken an interest in sending cards and everything. And uh, I put it off and put it off. And not quite knowing why I was doing this. And uh, finally, he went out and he bought a box of cards and he started addressing them to all his newfound friends in AA. Mind you, we didn't send any to the relatives and the people that we usually sent to. It was to his AA friends. And uh, my attitude at that time, uh, the stinking thinking, <clears throat> was... All these years, I've been addressing Christmas cards. Now it's high time you did your own. Well, thank God I didn't uh, voice this feeling to Frank. And uh, I was the one, though, that Christmas who had to explain to the whole family why they didn't get any cards. I had to uh, do the explanations. And uh, after I came into Al-Anon... I often told this story because I didn't recognize it as a resentment. If anyone had told me that I had resentments, I would have told them they were crazy. But it was only after coming into Al-Anon and really looking at myself that I was able to uh, see that I had many shortcomings. And when I first started to go to Al-Anon, Frank said to me, what, uh, Why do you have to go to Al-Anon? I said, well, uh, honey, I learned that there was something wrong with me. And he could go along with that, so he said, okay. Um, living in Brooklyn, I wasn't too far from the New York office in Manhattan. And after I was in Illinois a little while, I would go there and volunteer. And... Uh, it was the most wonderful experience to be able to answer some of the letters that came into the World Service office, uh, much the same way that my own letter had been answered by AA. And sometimes the people, the families who write, they are so desperate that they ask for help, and at the same time they say, please don't contact me because if my husband or my wife learned that I had written, there would be uh, all hell break out in our home. And sometimes the people write and they forget to put their return address. At one time, Al-Anon had a post office box. It was uh, 1475. This was before I ever went to work there. And I went to work there in 1959. And would you believe that some people hold newspaper clippings that many years and they'll write to Post Office Box 1475 to this day. And we still pay a, a little fee to the Post Office so they will ship these letters to us at our Post Office Box today. So the families, while they recognize the problem, they'll wait 10 15 years before they do anything. 
I've learned in Al-Anon that we can release our alcoholic with love or we can kill them with kindness. I almost killed mine with kindness. And there are many alcoholics today who may never find the program because the family is reluctant to take any steps. I don't advocate that someone try to push another party into AA, but certainly you should learn everything you can about alcoholism if you have a loved one who is suffering from this sickness. I have a, a little yardstick insofar that my father was a diabetic and he was put on insulin and my mother was taught how to give the insulin shots to him. But that was about it. She wasn't taught anything more about it. And one day she gave my father his insulin shot and uh, he didn't care to eat his breakfast. He went to sleep. She tried to awaken him for lunch. He said no, he didn't want anything. He went to sleep. And by evening, when Frank came home, my father had gone into insulin shock. You see, my mother didn't have any knowledge of his disease. And had they had some kind of a program for diabetics, my father may be alive today, may have been alive today. Today they are finding in all sorts of sicknesses where you have mentally retarded children, there are organizations where the whole family can go and learn how to cope. Where there is mental illness, they find the whole family should be under treatment. And certainly, any of you who have the knowledge of Al-Anon know how helpful the Al-Anon teachings can be where there's a problem of alcoholism in the home. We all go through the, uh, the guilt feelings. Uh, Frank and I had two daughters. I thought one of the reasons he drinks is because he would rather have had two sons. I thought I was the wrong wife for him. When he would talk about his uh, childhood, he would tell how lenient his mother was, how she would cover up for him little escapades. And uh, I would think his mother was too lenient, and that's why he drank. And then he would tell me how his father was very firm. For example, if they had a meal, he could take anything he wanted on his plate, but he had to eat it. He had to be sure to eat that, what was on his plate. And I thought, that's why he drinks. His father is too firm. But it is only through Al-Anon that I was able to look at all these things, all these excuses that I was making for his drinking and never looking at the real reason that he had a sickness and something had to be done about treating his sickness. And thank God for this wonderful program where we did learn a new way of life and it is a, a, a daily program that we have to keep practicing. I apply it now with my 
two married daughters and my two sons-in-law. They think their mother-in-law is pretty great. And I don't say that in a, in a boasting way. Uh, they can say, how the heck are you? And I don't get offended. I don't feel they have to treat me with a great deal of respect. I like it that we talk to one another at the same level. And, uh, this is the way the program helps me in my daily life. I think um, you all have been a wonderful audience. I hope that something I have said today will be of help. And uh, if any of you would like to talk with me any time during the weekend, I'll be more than happy to answer any questions. I may not have the answer, but I'll, I'll try. <laughs> Thank you all very, very much.